You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. We've learned a lot of new terms over the past few years. Some of them are dubious at best and also probably totally unnecessary. Quiet quitting, for instance. And here is a new one for you. Time theft. It's now got precedent in Canadian court. In the eyes of employers, or at least in the case we're going to discuss, time theft is any time you're on the clock but not actively working on your tasks. Which means basically every single one of you listening to this is guilty of it at some point, and so am I. But of course, time theft wouldn't even exist as a concept without employers now having the ability to track essentially every moment an employee is on the job using monitoring software. This began when everyone was working from home, but it's here and it's not going away. There is nothing stopping businesses from using this software to watch employees. And with the exception of one province, they're not even required to let workers know they're doing it. And then, when and if things get messy, they can submit, in court, details of exactly what an employee was doing when. And they can claim their time, air quotes around that, was stolen. Now, I have a whole lot of questions about this process, but I want to end this with a bigger one. What exactly is time spent working? Is it actively performing tasks? Is it thinking about tasks and how you might perform them? Is it taking a break from thinking about a task in hopes of getting a new idea or perspective? In jobs that aren't based on actual physical labor, what constitutes work? And how the heck can you monitor that? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Valerio De Stefano is the Canada Research Chair in Innovation, Law and Society at Osgoode Hall Law School at York University. He's also the co-author of the 2022 book, Your Boss is an Algorithm. Hey, Valerio. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining us. And maybe you could start by describing some of the programs we're going to be discussing today that track employees who are working from home. What are they? What do they do? Sure. So the programs vary immensely, right? So a very basic program is just using the uh, present status on out, on Outlook, right? Whenever uh, the, the flag is green or red or yellow, they may, be, they may be used as a signal that you are active or not active and thus working or not working. So this is the most basic thing. But we, are, we have a much more uh, invasive um, systems in place, such as systems that track uh, the keystrokes that you give in a certain moment of time, but also uh, using the mic uh, or the camera of your laptop uh, to track what you're doing, even without uh, you knowing about it. In some cases, uh, these systems are always using the cameras can try and track your mental and emotional status. So for instance, the camera uh, can be linked to a program that tries and detect whether you are attentive or not based on your eye movement or face, facial expression or things like that that normally tend to be 
extremely inaccurate as a as a way of detecting whether somebody is attacking is attentive or not. On top of that, and this is uh, something that is uh, related to the case, uh, the BC case that we are going to be discussing, some programs tend to record video of your activity on your laptop. This is particularly problematic for uh, laptops or any other device that can also be used for personal uses, right? Mm. These programs allow your employer to have uh, access to anything that you do and you browse on your computer, uh, including Google search, including general browsing, and thus uh, potentially uh, giving your employer or manager access to very sensitive information that you uh, may be leaving um, using your computer. So this is what we are uh, talking about. Let's get to that BC case that you mentioned, because that is sort of what our discussion today will hinge on. So maybe just brief us, um, what happened? The case is about an accountant that was employed to uh, work from home. And, and the case is quite specific because the accountant eventually admitted that uh, she had completed some timesheet for work that she had basically not uh, done. So she admitted to some uh, sort of uh, misconduct uh, after the employer disputed some work entries uh, on the basis of these videos recorded on, on their computer. Basically, um, the court stated that even if the, the employee did not understand how the tracking system worked, the tracking system was automatic. And on the basis of the recording, it was clear that she had uh, basically said that she had completed some work that uh, she actually had not completed. So this is what the case is about. A, a worker that has admitted of some wrongdoing, completing some timesheets that she had not uh, actually completed after the employer used a tracking system that shows videos of her activity on this laptop without she actually knowing what this tracking system was doing or how it worked. So what did the court find in this case? Basically, the court called this a case of time theft. It's actually basically an issue of wrongful reporting, of a reporting that should not have been done, uh, that it was inaccurate or unfaithful. Basically, an employee saying, I have done this job, I've done this work without having done it. And this is what the court found to be sufficient to fire the person for cause without any notice then. Is there an actual definition of what we've just called time theft? Like, how do we define that? There is no definition. And actually, I really hope it doesn't catch on. Uh, it is a very worrying term. Time cannot be stolen. Time belongs to you. It doesn't belong to your employer. What's happened in this case is that somebody had said she had completed some work activities that she had not completed. So this is what I will focus on rather than these fake <laughs> uh, general terms that don't make much sense. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. It's just, uh, it's one of those things that, that we hadn't heard of until very recently, and it seems to, um, seems to be proliferating. Yeah, so basically, um, we know about wage theft. So right. in a number of cases, employers cheat on how much work people do and basically don't pay them for the um, 
entire amount that they work or they don't pay over time when overtime is due. That is called wage theft. Uh, this time theft is sort of seen as the counterpart of wage theft. But again, it's quite problematic uh, because it almost assumes that time, even when it's paid, belongs to your employer. Mm-hmm. Time is an as, as essential and existential element of your life that cannot be alienated. It cannot be given away. Therefore, it cannot be stolen. Again, we have to uh, avoid that this general definition catches on. Uh, we should focus on work that has been reported and in some cases has not been completed in the way it has been reported. That's what I would prefer using as uh, as a frame of reference. So when we talk about these programs um, that employers have on employees' laptops and, you know, you walked us through the whole range of them, are there any rules that govern um, how employers use these programs, how many they can use? Are there limits? Do they have to tell employees if they are using them? Um, We've heard a ton about these programs since the pandemic began. I want to know what's stopping employers or what's governing the use of them. So uh, the rules vary dramatically if we are talking about a unionized versus a non-unionized workplace. In a unionized workplace, most likely, this program should be either negotiated with the union or anyway, even uh, when they are implemented unilaterally, they should be used reasonably, meaning that uh, the extent of privacy invasion should be somehow limited to a reasonable use. There is no such a rule in non-unionized workplaces, which are the vast majority of workplaces in Canada. Right. Uh, That means that employers pretty much can do whatever they want according to existing standards. Now, in Ontario, the situation is a bit different because um, earlier in 2022, uh, the province has passed uh, a, a new legislation that requires employers that employ more than 25 people to inform their employees if electronic monitoring is in place and now it is tracking people and for what purposes. So uh, in Ontario, an employer with more than 25 persons should inform these people of what they are doing when basically they are monitoring their workforce. Other than that, however, there is no limitation on the use of this electronic monitoring system. So this uh, contrasts with other systems, particularly in Europe, where uh, excessive forms of surveillance and monitoring will not be allowed generally uh, to employers. Uh, At the moment, employers can do more or less whatever they want, even if uh, we must say that there could be some general limitation that stem out of, uh, for instance, non-discrimination regulation or even some form of privacy protection that could be in place. But for the moment, uh, all this is basically untested before the course. The first judgment that we know of that specifically dealt with this issue is this BC decision. And so we'll probably see more of that in the future. What kind of precedent could this BC decision set? And uh, are people who watch this stuff concerned? Are you concerned about it? Yeah, so uh, 
I am concerned uh, both about the uh, this precedent from BC and in general about the use of these systems. In general, the BC case is a bit too fast in saying that when you don't understand how a tracking system works, you should still be accountable on the basis of the time that the system doesn't count as work. These systems, as we know them, in many cases don't make, don't recognize as work some essential elements of our jobs. Our jobs are never limited to our job description in practice. We all do a lot of things that don't correspond to what the contract says. Mm -hmm. uh, we mentor people, we talk with them, we read printouts, we do uh, research, we think about our work, and the systems don't track any of that. And therefore, basically, uh, whenever they track a very limited set of what we do and count only that as work, we get shortchanged. If the only time that my employer was counting as working time was the time I spent on my laptop, they will count maybe 20% of what I do that is related to my job as a university professor. And that will be extremely problematic, not only for academics, but for anyone that does jobs using their computers. This is what concerns me. The court in BC doesn't really take all this complexity into account and just says, you have reported some time spending, uh, spending some time on these files, and we don't recognize this time as work. Therefore, you cheated. Therefore, you get to be sanctioned. Maybe this was the case in this particular factual circumstances, but I really hope it, it doesn't catch on as a general practice in which whenever a system doesn't recognize some work that we are doing as work, we are assumed to be cheating and we have to justify ourselves. This will disrupt immensely our workplaces work and will give too much opportunities for abuses uh, in the hands of management. I'm glad you took it there because my next question was going to be exactly that. Like there's no set way to define what qualifies as working and not working. So for myself, we have to do five of these shows a week. Uh, we need lots of story ideas. I spend so much time on my company laptop just farting around the internet looking for interesting things and like random stuff that could turn out to be something that might not, that might be amusing or sad or whatever. It definitely would not look like work to anybody who wanted to challenge it because only rarely does something actually result from it, but I couldn't do my job without it. And I guess what I'm concerned about is not uh, whether or not it counts as work, because I know it does, and I think the people who employ me do. But if somebody wanted to make an official case that I was not working, that stuff is definitely not like written in a contract anywhere as what I'm supposed to do. And I bet you many people's is exactly the same. Absolutely right. And this is actually how the system works. Employment contracts are, by definition, incomplete. They are filled by the parties, also through the use of uh, managerial prerogatives and powers, day by day. Every day, your employer can ask you to do something in a very general and broad job description. Now, if the idea that uh, a certain work task is the only thing you have to do on your job, and this is the only outcome on which you are evaluated, and only the time that you spend doing that very narrow task is counted as work, 
all our worst societies couldn't work like that. Our contracts are there for an unspecified amount of time, and they are, by definition, un- incomplete. They are left to the basically to the goodwill of the parties to fill them fairly. Now, a software cannot do that. A software is not conceived to understand grade zones. And in most of the time, especially in the modern workplaces, we do a ton of working activities, even when we are not at our desk. We think about what we do while we go to the grocery shop. We may uh, answer to an email uh, in the weekend. We can think of our next class or our next podcast uh, in at times that are completely unrelated to the normal working hours. Uh, if we didn't do that, we couldn't do our jobs. Still, we risk that all these activities that are essential to our work and without which our businesses could not operate are counted as non-working and we are basically defined as cheaters on our working time because the software doesn't understand what we are doing. These software are extremely stupid in most of the cases. They cannot take into account a very complex reality such as work. So just to play devil's advocate, because I'm not saying that I support employers being able to just use this stuff on their employees, but from their perspective, they used to have them in the office, now they're at home. Don't they have the right to know what their employee is doing when they're working from home the same way they would if that employee was in the office and they could simply walk over and look at what they were up to? The point is, even if you check on my desk what I'm doing, you can talk to me but you cannot go and browse my previous activity on the computer. This is the the difference between this kind of surveillance and the normal general monitoring that is allowable in workplaces. This surveillance is relentless, is second by second, and it assumes that for whatever hour we spend working, every single second is devoted to that. This is completely unrealistic. It has never been the case, especially in white-collar occupation, that somebody doesn't get distracted or is lost in a train of thought while doing their work. It's completely unhuman to think otherwise. Now, when it comes to remote work, of course, there is a genuine preoccupation that some people may uh, not work while they are reporting their working, but this can be solved by giving people outputs realistic outputs to pursue rather than focusing on the process. Focusing on the process is a very 20th century idea of thinking about work. Uh, Most of us now have to produce things and show that we have completed tasks and outputs. Mm -hmm. This can be done without this kind of tracking and monitoring uh, surveillance. The idea that you can substitute a software for a manager, it's completely unrealistic. Managers are there for a reason to understand whether a certain activity is productive or not uh, in ways that software cannot do because they don't understand the grade zones. This is a tangentially related question maybe, but uh, do we know by now if employees who are working from home are more or less productive than those that are in the office? We should have lots of data by this point. There is no final evidence, but what we know 
uh, is that they are definitely not less productive than people that work from the office. On top of that, and this is something that speaks more broadly to what we should do about remote work in our societies rather than leaving the decision just to management, remote work is good because it saves a lot of commuting time. It's good for the environment. It allows a better work-life balance. It is generally more efficient for our societies. So even if the productivity raise was not significant, it is not a reason to abandon it or basically not to adopt policy that could foster a human and realistic and sustainable way of doing remote work that allows for workers to be accountable to their output without being dehumanized uh, by being tracked all of the time while they are not at their desk. So what comes next on this? You mentioned Ontario has set some rules around it. Um, Are other provinces looking at it? Is the federal government looking at it? What will you be watching for in this sector in the coming year? So uh, employment standards are uh, basically provincial. The federal legislation basically regulates some key sectors such as broadcasting or uh, banking, but most of employment standards are provincial. The federal government, as far as as I know, as a package on uh, artificial intelligence in society more at large that would mimic what Ontario is, uh, has done in their uh, legislation. Basically, an employer should inform uh, workers that some monitoring system are in place, but not much more protection will be afforded to workers. In my opinion, this is far too limited as a protection. We know that this system can be extremely invasive. We also know that in some cases they can also be uh, discriminatory because they don't account for non-standard performance, people with disabilities, but also people that don't correspond to the general benchmark that a software uh, assumes to be a worker. Mm -hmm. And so even if the discussion should be provincial or federal, I think it's time for a much broad-based discussion in our society to understand what work is, what work from home is, and what should be allowed in terms of monitoring uh, without outsourcing this decision only to the producers or developers of the software or to the management that often leases or buys this software without even understanding how invasive can they be. Valerio, thank you so much for this. Uh, I've learned a lot about this topic and now I'm uh, possibly even more concerned than before. (laughs) I'm sorry about that, but thank you so much for having me. Valerio Stefano, Canada Research Chair in Innovation Law and Society at Osgoode Hall Law School. That was the big story. Like I said, half my job is literally spent tooling around, looking for these stories, reading ones that never turn into episodes. And if somebody monitored that, I would probably be in trouble. That's why I need you to help us send us some story ideas. We've gotten some great ones over the past few weeks, and we're looking for more. You can send them to us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can, of course, email hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. And you can call us 416-935-5935 and leave us a message with your questions. The Big Story is available in every single podcast player and on every smart speaker. You just need to ask your smart speaker to play The Big Story Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.